work our way through uh, the book of James. Uh, the context I gave this morning is <clears throat> uh, equally important, I think, to all the, uh, to all the, to the entirety of the book of James. Uh, I was talking to someone after the service this morning, and I've, I think I've preached through James once before, if not twice, uh, through the years. But really, uh, paying special mind, holding it in context as I've gone through it, it's just been so helpful uh, to me and so convicting as well, uh, certainly this morning and uh, the other messages. Uh, tonight, we're looking at verse uh, 13 through 17. Uh, I, obviously, the context is still the same. Uh, there are still trials that these people will be enduring uh, in which they are to count it all joy. Uh, but again, the trials, the outward pressures contribute to some of the things that might contribute to them uh, being uh, maybe overly occupied with providing for themselves, uh, whether it's through business or through their commercial activities or whatever it is. And, and so James seems to be addressing uh, that issue or the issue maybe of presumption. <clears throat> but let's look at this tonight and, and we'll... Uh, we'll spend as much time together as the Lord uh, allows on these verses. But James writes, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. And verse 16 is key. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. Verse 16 is uh, significant to me because just like he did with the issue of speaking evil of one's brother or sister, uh, he, he drills this down to give the impression that there's more at work here in something just as simple as planning. I mean, when you read this text, uh, it doesn't strike you as necessarily sinful that they're planning. Um, there's something that James is pointing out that's a, one of those subtle, subtle things that happens in the heart that manifests itself in our actions that has huge implications. And that's one of the things the book of James has really impacted me in this study is the massive, massive implications involved in what we're doing. Uh, it's, not, it's not just some frivolous thing we're doing living this Christian life. Uh, just the very notions that we have have massive implications in terms of uh, revealing what it is we believe, uh, what it is that we are putting our trust in. So that's what James, I think, is getting to here in this text. Uh, I just call your attention to verse 13. First of all, the, the come now. He does that again in, verse, in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5. So come now. And so it's essentially an invitation. It's an invitation uh, for them, I think, to reconsider or to evaluate some practice of theirs or some way of thinking. It's a, it's a, you hear it some in the Old Testament. So it's a, it's a language that is calling you to, to consider something that he's going to say to you. In this case, uh, he goes on to tell them. But I wanted to pause there to say that's what the text should be doing to us. When we read come now, uh, he's calling our attention to I think we share this in many ways, but to practices or habits or things that we do almost uh, in neutral, 
uh, almost mindlessly that, we're, that we ought to pay attention to because they say huge things. And so his invitation for them is to come now. And the issue there is basically to consider uh, what you say. Verse, t- verse 13, he says that, come now, you who say. So they're saying something, and that's not the main emphasis. He's going to get to the bottom of that, but he's wanting them to, he's calling them to reevaluate the things you say, the thing you're saying is specifically in regards to your planning. But he wants them to reconsider or to consider what it is they are saying. What is said here really is rooted in, in a view or a belief held as normative by the speaker. So he's calling into question something that's fairly common. And I think in general, people would think nothing about. In fact, uh, it convicts me that we speak the same way. Now, it's, it's one thing to speak it <clears throat> and to be aware of what he goes on to say. But it's another thing altogether to speak it mindless of, of the issue that he's going to raise later in this passage. But it's a common thing. Uh, it's something that they were saying regularly. It's something that you and I say I mean, we plan like this all the time. We say these things, and he's, he's essentially inviting them now or, or calling them to consider something you're saying and that has become commonplace and habitual for you. You're, you're mouthing things and you're saying things that have massive implications, and you're completely oblivious to that. And so that's what he's calling into question here. It is a call essentially to evaluate what has for them become rather commonplace. And to me, uh, that's that's what the scriptures are always doing to me. Uh, I realize that there is so much, this is kind of a rabbit trail here, but there is is so much evident in in the practices and the things I do mindlessly that have huge implications in regards to what it is I believe about God, about my relationship with God, about the truth of his word. Things I just do by habit and that are commonplace for me that I never, I never evaluate as to their consistency with the truth of God and the, the very nature of God. And so James is calling them into Uh, calling them to question or to evaluate something that is very much commonplace for them. So let's look in verse 13 as well of what it was they were saying. Essentially, they're planning here. There are five five different categories uh, in regards to their saying. You are saying that today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, and engage in business and I love the end of it, and make a profit. That's what we're going to do. Uh, you think about that. So they're, they're planning now, or they're saying, or making, making projections in regards to dates and times, destinations, durations of time spent there, their occupation while there, and the outcome of the trip altogether. I mean, that's planning. <laughs> I mean, I don't, think you're, I don't think he's exhorting us, never plan. It's clear that planning is proper in some places. So I ask myself when I read this, well, generally then, what is the problem? So he's not rebuking them for planning. In fact, Proverbs 25, 21, 25 says the plans of the diligent lead to advantage. It, it says something else I'll come back to later, but that, that at least lays down a principle. So it is not wise to not be planning. We are to be a planning people. We're not to be mindless about what, we're, uh, what the agenda is for today. 
Can you imagine getting up every morning and, and not having any plan whatsoever and just floating along and doing whatever the impulse strikes you to do? We're, we're a planning people. So I don't think James is encouraging us or rebuking them at all for planning. So what is the problem? Well, the problem in, in short is presumption. Because he says of them, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Then he says in verse 14, yet you do not know what your life will be like. And so that gets to the heart of the matter. You're, you're making all of these plans and you're presuming that things are going to unfold the way you want to. And what's missing in your planning is any allowance for a contingency. You're, you're presuming a lot about your life. And if you think about that, the date and time, you're presuming that you are going to be able to leave for this destination tomorrow or maybe the next day. Well, that's a big assumption. It could be a week. It could be that you need to leave today. You're presuming some things about the date and time. You have no, no necessary uh, criteria by which you need to go today or tomorrow. He's just, just generally saying there is a day that I'm planning to go. Well, you don't know what that day is going to bring. I mean, we know from the news that you can one day wake up in the morning and have an earthquake or a tsunami that evening and by the end of the day, 250,000 people be dead. You don't know what that day will bring, yet you're planning regarding that day. You also don't know the destination or whether you'll ever reach the destination. That accident I just mentioned, somebody was heading for a certain place and they didn't reach their destination. An accident occurred, a, a car accident occurred. And so you don't know regarding the destination. You may know where you want to go, but you don't know what's going to unfold between where you are and where that destination is. As far as duration of time, he says we're going to stay there a year. You don't know that. You could get there, uh, you could get there and something happened and all of a sudden your trip's cut short. You could get there, business could collapse, anything could happen. You could get a terminal disease while you're there. I, uh, I had requested prayer for uh, Mark Forehand and going to school with him. And I saw the obituary this week and uh, I didn't follow him much after school, but apparently right after school, he went and joined the Air Force, went to the highest enlisted rank in the Air Force in a whole career there, retired there early, um, joined the DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency, and spent a career there, retired there, and had finally retired and came back into this area to live with his family and was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and is dead now. He passed away. You don't know what a day is going to bring. And even if, you, even if you're successful in leaving on the day you want to and arriving at the destination you want to arrive in, you have no guarantees that you're going to be able to survive there for any duration of time at all, much less a year. So there's a lot of presumption happening here. The occupation you're going to do when you get there. The word he uses here for doing business is, uh, I can't pronounce it very well, but it's something from a root from which we get the word emporium. So he's going, he's planning now, and he's going into a place of uh, an empori, uh, where, they are, where they are going to be all the commercial properties. I think of it as a massive flea market with everybody sporting their wares and plying their trades. And we're going to go to that place and that city, and we're going to stay there a year, and we're going to ply our trade. You don't know that. 
You may get there and find out that your trade is not wanted in that region. You may get down there and find out that the materials that you need to provide for your trade, you don't know what's going to happen. You just don't know. Yes, you have the abilities, but you could get down there and have a stroke and lose your ability to, to ply your trade. Anything could happen. You don't know that you're going to be able to ply your trade when you get there and do your business. You're also presuming that you're going to make a profit. If all those other things are true, how do you know you're going to make a profit? How do you know you won't be robbed on the trail back to your home? How do you know you won't be exploited or extorted by someone there in that city where you're not used to going? You don't, there's so much you don't know, and that's what they are not allowing for. And I think that's part of the problem here. He goes on making a, a lot of presumptions here. And I just kind of went through these and was thinking through these. In verses 14 and 16, you see, he says there, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. Then he says, your life is just like a vapor. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. If you jump to verse 14 or 16, he says there that as that is, according to that, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So I was just thinking through those couple of passages and I was thinking about some of the uh, problems with their presumption. Number one is there's a presumption there about your life in general. He says, you don't know. You don't know what it's going to be. Now, we can rest as Christians. We can rest in Christ and we are planning and every one of us have an agenda. Probably this week there are things that are on our list to do. I've got things on my list to do and, and I'm unwise not to plan and, and, and set my calendar to make sure that I can get all that I need accomplished. But there needs to be an awareness that I don't know what my life is going to unfold like. Anything, absolutely anything can happen to interrupt my schedule tomorrow and my planning. So they were making huge presumptions in regards to their life. I was thinking to myself, it would be unnerving for me to be anxious and frightened at any moment that some, my life's going to end and it would probably paralyze me and I wouldn't do any planning. That's not what James is endorsing here. I think he's endorsing an underlying realization that our lives are in the hand of God. And that though we may plan and though we ought to plan and we ought to be wise in our planning and even consult God and his word in our planning, have his glory in mind and all these things are evident. But at the end of the day, we do not know how our life will unfold. He does. All of our days are written in his book before a single one of them was lived. He knows how every day will be unfolding. He knows what will be coming into my life tomorrow and the day after and every day until I come into his presence. He knows all those things, but you and I don't. And that's just the plain truth of the matter. So they were making presumptions in regards to their life in general. They were making presumptions about it in regards to longevity. In verse 14, he says there, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You're making huge presumptions about your longevity. And even if the Lord grants you 70, 80, 90, even 100 years in the grand scheme of things, that is a vapor. It's always been... Uh, helpful for me or graphic for me to in a winter day you go outside and you breathe out and you see your breath there for a minute how long did that last 
It dissipates almost immediately. As soon as that breath comes to the normal air temperature and the moisture is dried up in that breath, it disappears. He's saying in the grand scheme of things, that's your life. It's a, <clears throat> and then it's gone. So you don't know, you're making huge presumptions in regards to your longevity. Some people live 100 years. Some people live, Mark that I just mentioned was 62. So he wasn't that old by today's standards and he's gone. And he spent all of his life achieving great things. And I'm sure he has, there are great memories involved in his life. But in the grand scheme of things, even in the smaller scheme of things, this life was a vapor. He was a baby once fresh from his mother's womb. And 62 years later, he's no longer on the earth. His life is a vapor and so is ours. And to plan, plan oblivious to that reality is unwise. And another one I think in some ways he's making some presumptions about their value. And I mean that in terms of their contribution to the well-being and, and, and livelihood of others. We're going to go down there. We're going to make business. We're going to make a profit. We're going to provide for everything. And sometimes I think all the planning is presumptuous in regards to how significant our contribution is. It is, it is important, every one of us, fathers especially, in providing for our homes but, our, but, but if the days unfold and our life vapor disappears and we're gone, in the grand scheme of things, God will provide for those we leave behind. So sometimes there's a self-importance that drives our planning. They need me. My family needs me. I've got to provide my family. So it's a, it's a, it's a self-exaltation, a self-importance, a high self-esteem that drives our planning in a presumptuous way. Now, we should plan. We should realize that there are those around us, fathers particularly, that we provide for and mothers and, and our children. So there are others who are dependent upon us providing for them. And we ought, to, we ought to take that seriously. And that's a mandate, I think, from Scripture. Paul says any man that doesn't do it is worse than an infidel. So we ought to take that seriously. But we ought not to elevate ourselves and be so self-important in our own minds that we, that we ignore the reality that our life is, in fact, just a vapor. God can provide support for our families through a, a multiple manifold means. And so we ought not to do that planning with some high or overvalued of ourself. Uh, it's also making some presumptions about their own wisdom and, and the best plan altogether. Seems like they've got it laid out rather well here. We're going to go this, we're going to go tomorrow, the day after, we're going to go to such and such a city, we're going to stay there a year, we're going to do business, and we're going to profit. Good plan. You're making a lot of presumptions about your wisdom in planning that. It may not work out. How many of you have made plans that didn't work out anything? In fact, most of the plans I've ever made didn't work out exactly like I made them. And so I'm making presumptions about my wisdom in making the plans. In fact, in my mind, often my plans are, Lord, this is tentative. This is what I think might be the best thing to do. But, Lord, I want to be subject and open and remain sensitive to your guiding in another direction, even at the last moment. So, so Lord, I subject my planning to yours. This is the best I can do according to what I understand you want me to do. But, Lord, I am open to be corrected in my planning. So, there is a duration, there is a presumption in regards to your own wisdom. Uh, I think for the Christian, particularly in this, there's a presumption in regards to your identity. The Bible says of the Christian, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. Now what servant, what, what slave does his own planning? 
Every servant, every slave, the master lays out the plan. Jesus tells a parable about that in the context of faithfulness. Which of you uh, coming in from the field sits down and the master serves him? No, he doesn't do that at all. In fact, the servant goes out and does what the master says. And at the end of the day, the servant, having fulfilled all that the master commanded him, says, I am an unworthy servant. I just did what you said to do. Well, Christian, you are not your own. So if you're planning, necessary though it may be, is planning independent of who your owner is, then you are planning in a, in a way that is not wise at the very minimum. And even later on, he even says, even evil. Uh, because you are, you are presuming a lot of things about your identity. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I think as well that he's making some presumptions in regards to the word of God because the word of God gives that. In fact, the passage that I read, 21, uh, chapter Proverbs 21, 5, it does say in the beginning, the plans of the diligent lead simply or surely to advantage, but it adds something to that. But everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. So it adds something to that. Listen to a couple more. Turn with me to Proverbs Proverbs. Uh, Chapter 16 first. And I'm saying this to, to say that they had the word. They have the word warning them. Proverbs 16, 1, the plans of the heart, the plans of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. 16.9, the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So here, here there's a planning, but there's something else involved in the, in the planning. The man is planning his steps or is planning his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In Proverbs 19, there are others, but these are a few. But Proverbs 19.21, many plans are in a man's heart but the counsel of the Lord will stand. So, so he has, they have the word and these believers who are doing their planning, they have these cautions in their planning very clearly in chapter 27, uh, 27, one, it says very clearly. And I think James actually is quoting from this, or at least thinking of this later in this passage, but he says in Proverbs 27, one, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring forth. So they had the word. And so if they're planning regardless or, or, or oblivious to the Lord here, they are planning in a way that's not taking into account the word that they had as Christians, as believers before them. They have excluded any reconciling or any thought of the Lord in all of their planning. And so they are pres presuming things in regards to the word of God. And as I've said, even the Proverbs that I began with, everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. So we obviously see that there's a problem here. James is not discouraging them from planning. In fact, as I was looking through this plan, I don't see anything in this plan that, I, that looks inherently or overtly sinful to me. If they were going to profit and provide for their family, they, they found a place to do business. So they scheduled a time to go down there, take their wares, take their trade, go into that place, go into this emporium and, and practice their trade, make a profit, come home and supply for their family. We all do that all the time. 
You, you go to college, you get a preparation, you get an education, you go out into the workforce, you apply, you apply your skills there to provide for yourself and your family. You come home, you go to school, you go get your job, you get to the end of the week, you get a profit, you come home, you use that to provide for your family. There's no discouragement in scripture for planning to be a, a provider in your family and even to be a, a channel through which the blessings might extend to others. What is wrong here is that they were planning exclusive or cutting themselves off from the will of God. And that is tragic. And that is tragic. He says to them again, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while. And now he gives the alternative. Instead, instead of doing this, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. That's the key word. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. He doesn't get into specifics because that's not the point. The point is there is a contingency involved in all of your planning, and that is the Lord's will. It shall be done. It will be done. In fact, Jesus' own prayer, our Father who art in heaven, thy, uh, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Uh, so, so the will of the, of the Father, the will of God is a important part of your planning and you think about this this is why I made the point how it become commonplace for them because this kind of planning becomes commonplace for us and how often do you consciously make your plans mindful if the Lord wills and to me that's important because if you make your plans exclusive of that and your plans done unfold the way you want, then you're more subject to overreaction, anger, frustration, anxiety. But if from the beginning you have been making your plannings and underneath all of that was a severe or sincere conviction that the Lord's will is priority here for him to accomplish and for me to want, so I'm making my plans as best I can holding fast the contingency that the Lord may will differently and I'm open for frustration for my plans because the Lord is leading in another direction. Or you may come into conflict with someone else because they have interrupted your plans. Uh, Brother Bill, we were just talking about coming to church and getting behind slow drivers. I don't know if it's just me, but every slow driver in Iredell County knows when I'm late. And they know where I'm going, and they get on the road between me and where I'm going. And if I don't make a contingency for the Lord's will here, or in my planning for the Lord's will, I get angry with them. Don't you people know that I have to be somewhere? I have planned to be there. How many of you have been sitting on an interstate because of an accident somewhere and wondering if you had enough gas to, to, to survive until the accident was cleared and you can get to the gas station? How many times have your plans been frustrated only for you to become frustrated and angry and short-tempered and even brought into conflict with those whom you think have interfered with your plans? Parents, particularly our children, they just don't cooperate all the time, do they? Lord, I have plans in regards to what my family's going to do this week, and I'm going to conduct those plans. But, Father, your will is priority here. So if I have a rebellious or stubborn child, I may have to pause my plans, deal with that in a way that honors you, and take that into the, into the process and move onward towards what your will is for us. This is what I'm, I'm just using those for examples, and there are a thousand others that I could give. But I think that's James' point here. Your planning 
and you're excluding altogether the will of, the, the will of God in your planning. And by doing so, not only are you dishonoring him, but you're setting yourself up for conflict and frustration and a life of, of, of frustration because your plans are always going to be getting thwarted. And what, what's even worse is when they are thwarted by his will for some sanctifying purpose, you're going to be resistant to it because you were so dead set on completing your plan. You left God completely out of it and the will of God out of it. And by doing so, you've cut yourself off from God working sovereignly in your life, as it were, to sanctify you, which ought to be the will of the Christian. And so you can see how it's, it's just so thoughtless at a minimum. But James says even something more severe. He says in verse 16, but as it is, since you have excluded God's will from your planning, as it is, you boast. It is a boast. That's exactly what the proverb says. Don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what a day brings. It's a boasting. And he tells us where it's rooted. It's rooted in arrogance. So here's a boasting born of arrogance that manifests itself in a, in a systematic planning exclusive of the will of God. That's essentially what we're doing. It might be a good practice, even for a while, for us, practically speaking, that when we sit down and we make plans, that if we write those out, if you're one of those persons who write those out or in your calendar over each day when you write out your agenda for the day, just put in parentheses over the top or at the bottom, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. Just keep saying that, keep reminding yourself of that. And I think it may ingrain in us a, an instinctive reality that when we're planning, all of this is contingent upon what the Lord's will is in this circumstance or in this event. And we don't always know clearly what it is, but if we are sensitive that he is accomplishing his will, will we not stay more alert and sensitive to what the Lord, whatever frustrations and trials he may allow into our lives to direct us towards him and towards Christ's likeness? It is boasting, born of arrogance. And verse 16 puts it very, very clearly what is the root of that. Uh, the, the arrogance there and the boasting rising up from that arrogance, that is evil. So the, the, again, like this morning, he says something that's stunning to me. Planning mindless of the will of God is arrogant and it's evil. <laughs> we would say we would feel generally different, right? Well, I, f I forgot about that, of course. If somebody says, oh, here's my plans for next week. And the brother says, if the Lord wills. And you say, oh, yeah, right. But you didn't think about that. You didn't think that when you were planning. It didn't even enter your mind. And you probably wouldn't even consented to it had your brother not reminded you of that. Well, that's a signal that you've been planning exclusive of any thought of the Lord's will. And James is saying that that is boasting and it's rooted in arrogance and it is evil. It is not just an oversight. Which gets me back to what I was saying this morning in many ways. There are lots of things that we dismiss as oversights. As not all that significant in the grand scheme of things. But it seems to me that James is saying, no, they have huge significance. Because they say things about you about your heart, about your beliefs, about your convictions. They reveal things about where you are in your own heart. That though, and that is the area that God is transforming you 
through the trials that James began this book talking about. And now you can take that and you can, uh, I'm assuming now for a moment, maybe not everybody, for some of you, Monday may be just uh, get up, have coffee and see what happens. Uh, even that's kind of a plan, but most of us have plans. You may have plans for this evening or you may have plans for Monday morning. What's your day? How's your day planned? How's it going to unfold? What are you planning on doing? Have you sat down and have you written that out? Have you thought through in your head? Is it kind of a general plan, a tentative plan? Is it a very precise plan? And here's the question for tonight. Have you considered in that planning and in that thinking, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? We know generally from Scripture, it is your sanctification. It is making you like Christ. And I'm convinced with all my heart and from the truth of Scripture that sometimes His will in transforming to the, me to the image of Christ involves trials and, and difficulties in my life. As I said this morning, without the trials, all the impurities in our faith don't get agitated and they just settle in and they get diluted down into our faith and we go on in life thinking that our faith is true and pure and sincere and full and it's diluted with all sorts of presumption. And so the trials agitate that and bring those things to the surface. And trust me, in times of trial, what is not faith don't survive. You get rid of it really quickly because it's not sustaining you in the midst of those trials. And the same way is here. You are, we are making, he says, presumptions in regards to how our life is going to unfold. And none of us know exactly how that's going to be. I sometimes sit around and I think to myself, I don't know if I want to be 100. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be around that long. Do I want to go out at the top of, at the top of my game, at the peak of my uh, acuity or accuracy and all the, do I want to go out in a blaze of glory or do I want to just sort of peter out, just wind up, well, ain't got enough energy to go on another day, might as well check out of here. I don't know. I don't know what the Lord's will is on that. I may live to be 120. I may not live through the night. And you don't know either. And so whatever you're planning, if you're planning to go out to eat tonight, it's great if the Lord wills. If you're planning to go to work tomorrow and go somewhere and make a profit, if the Lord wills. If you're planning on having a wonderful day with your family and going on a vacation, that's wonderful. You ought to plan for that if the Lord wills. That mentality ought to be in our minds always is what I'm getting from James here. And he's saying to these believers who are in areas where they're subject to trials and temptations, where the desire to profit and to provide for your own is a strong desire. And the desire could be so, become so strong in them that they neglected to consider what is the Lord's will here. And became presumptive about that. And I think his exhortation here is for them to do that. Verse 15 says it all. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Uh, I, could, I could do a whole sermon on just that phrase, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. That's the guiding factor for how our lives will unfold. And we are 
as Christians especially, we ought to be wise in our planning. We ought to realize that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. My body, my life is a vessel for the display of the glory of God. As a father, as a husband, as a grandfather, as a pastor, as a, as a church man, as a Christian, my life exists and is sustained for the display of the glory of Christ. All my planning has to take that into account. If it excludes that, then I'm taking to myself an identity that's not mine as a believer. I am his. I am not my own. I am not mine to do with as I please. I am his and to be subject to him always, even in my planning. And so that's, a, that's the short word tonight, but it's a powerful exhortation, I think, from James. So stand with me. In verse 17... Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so this, this boasting out of arrogance is evil. And for those who know the right thing to do in the context of what he's saying here and then not to do that, uh, that's sin. And so that's how serious this is. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I just acknowledge, uh, as I think most of us would, that we do an awful lot of planning um, without thinking of what you would will. Lord, we know that will in, in broad terms. As I've said, we know that you are working every day to transform us to the image of Christ. And Lord, we know that's an ongoing work, and we have an assurance that that work will come to its completion someday. Paul says the one who began a good work in us will complete that work until the day of Christ. So we thank, we're thankful for that. But Lord, I don't think and don't believe that you are indifferent or disengaged from our everyday decisions, from our planning, from what we intend to do tomorrow or the next day or every day of our life. We are yours. We were bought with a price. And so, Father, I pray that as we plan, as we should, in wisdom, that we would take into account the activities that we're planning, the things that we're intending to do, whether or not they are consistent with your word and glorifying to you. But also, Father, that we might take into account that your will may be very different for us today than we might imagine. So although we plan, Lord, help us to always reserve space for your will to be accomplished and not only to allow for it, but, Father, to prefer it over our own planning. So help us, Father, to hear the instruction from James tonight from your word. And help us to incorporate that into our lives, not to just be indifferent to it and to continue to say the things that we say that are so commonplace but are so thoughtless in so many ways. We thank you for the gathering again of your body tonight and the, the fellowship and the encouragement we receive from one another. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.